All right. So, um, review of last night. Last night we talked about how God invites us out of the stands onto the field of play. He makes us part of his team. He doesn't want us to ride the bench. He doesn't want us to sit in the stands and just observe and cheer, but he wants us to actually get on the field of play and make a valuable contribution in advancing his mission. And when we do that, we bring him glory, which is really the greatest purpose of our lives, is to be a part of something, to be privileged with bringing God glory. So that's what God wants us to do. And we um, asked kind of three commitment questions last night as we got into this, because before you get on the field of play, it always requires you to decide how committed to this am I going to be. Because you've probably, you've probably seen this just at your universities interacting with athletes or seeing athletes around campus. Athletes make tremendous sacrifices. I mean, they have to get up early. They have to do things when they don't want to do it. They have to do things when they don't feel like doing it, all to participate in the sport that they're doing. And in a lot of ways, it's similar when it comes to following God. There are tremendous sacrifices. So we start, we count the cost. We don't put Jesus off. We don't say, I'll follow you after I do the things I want to do. We don't bring our conditions to him. I mean, sometimes athletes show up at a university and they'll say, okay, I'll do this sport, but then they've got a condition. You know, I'll play, I'll play wide receiver, but I've got to catch the ball five times and get a touchdown every game. How long do they last? They don't. They don't. They don't make it to the NFL. I mean, they don't. Because the guys that last are the guys that don't bring conditions. The girls that last are the people that don't bring conditions. They say, okay, I'm committed. I'm going to do what it takes. And over time, they climb and they advance. Same thing in the Christian life. So we're going to get a little more practical today. We're going to unpack Jeremiah 29 and look at some of the things that God tells the exiles. But before I get into um, the practical things, I want to look at three agendas that are at play in this passage of Jeremiah 29, because they're really important. These three agendas are really important to understand, to kind of understand what's going on and understand what the um, exiles, the Israelites, were up against as they were trying to figure out if they were going to take God seriously. So the first agenda at play is the Babylonian agenda, and the Babylonian agenda was to assimilate. So again, what the Babylonians did is they came in and they conquered Israel, then they took the, the upper class, the religious elites, they took the educated, they took the royal family, and they took them into exile into Babylon. And their goal was to assimilate them to Babylonian culture and over time for them to lose their identity and just to become like everybody else, to become Babylonians and to live like the Babylonians, to think like the Babylonians for their worship to be the same as the Babylonian worship, for them to engage in all the practices, all the values that the Babylonians had. So their goal was, we're going to assimilate you. You're going to lose your sense of identity. You're going to lose your faith. You're going to become just like us. And then because you guys are the powerful ones, you're the elite, the upper class, if you just become like us, then that'll trickle down to everybody else, and everybody else will become just like us. This was a very strategic agenda that they would do. So their, their agenda was for the Israelites to assimilate. The next agenda is the Israelite false prophets, and their agenda was to huddle together. So they bring, the Babylonians bring the Israelites in. The Israelites don't actually settle in the city of Babylon. That was already you know, established, and it's wealthy, and there's the gardens, and there's all this amazing stuff. They're kind of right outside the city. There's actually, um, many people think there was a canal, a waterway, separated the main city from where the Israelites were living. So because the religious elites went with the people, they were, they were trying to be messengers from God. And so they were, they were confusing the people and they were lying to the people. But what they were telling them was, hey, 
we're here, we're only gonna be here for a short amount of time, we're gonna be here for a season max, you know, that's all this is gonna last, so let's just, let's not, let's not get established, let's not build anything permanent, this is gonna be short, so essentially view this as a prolonged camping trip, we're just gonna stay in tents, we're gonna camp, and we're gonna huddle together, we're gonna put walls around us, we're not gonna let Babylon in, we're not gonna let them impact us, and it's just gonna be us and our little holy bubble, and essentially what the false prophets were doing is kind of like a mother hen, or a mother duck who takes their wings and puts it around her chicks to protect them. That's essentially what the false prophets wanted to see happen, is the people are just like huddle in, close together, protected, don't interact with, don't talk to, don't look at the Babylonians. We're just gonna, we're gonna hold on to our identity, and we're going to weather the storm, and then we're going to get back to Israel. So they wanted the people to huddle together. The third agenda is God's agenda, and God's agenda for the people was to make an impact. So he comes to them by means of Jeremiah. He goes to Jeremiah and says, hey, write this letter, send it to the people. He says, I want you to work for the good of the city. I don't want you to be assimilated into the city like the Babylonians want. I don't want you to lose your identity. I don't want you to huddle together outside of the city I actually want you to establish yourself, I want you to fit in, and I want you to make a difference. And he tells them, if you do that, if the city prospers, you too will prosper. So he's attaching what they're going to experience in the future to what they're willing to sacrifice and do today for the good of the city. He says, hey, if you do this, you take me seriously, the city's going to benefit, and then you're going to benefit as a result of it. And he's very clear, he says, hey, through other points in the book of Jeremiah, he makes it very clear to them, he doesn't want them to go into the city and just start being like the Babylonians. He's saying, hey, you're still following me. I'm, I'm your God. You're not going to follow these false gods. You're not going to engage in their evil practices, but I want you to go and I want you to be a part of it and build relationships and establish yourself in order to make an impact. Don't, don't give in to sin. Don't let the sin run rampant. You've got to stay unique. You've got to stay distinct as a people but you've got to go into the city and you've got to make an impact. So let me read it again, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. This is kind of the key passage we're looking at, and then we'll pull some principles. So what it says. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those people whom he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to take away as prisoners from Jerusalem to Babylonia, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what you grow in them, marry and have children, then let your children get married so that they also may have children. You must increase in numbers and not decrease. Work for the good of the cities where I have made you go as prisoners. Pray to me on their behalf, because if they are prosperous, you will be prosperous too. So let's pull some principles out of this. And we're going to focus on um, verse 5 this morning. And the first principle is when it comes to working for the good of the campus where you live, God wants you to establish yourself. That's the first thing. God wants you to establish yourself. If you've made the commitment, you've gotten off the stands, you're on the field of play, one of the first things you need to do is you need to establish yourself. Again, the exiles, their desire was, let's just get this over with as fast as possible and get back to Israel. We don't want to be here. We don't want to be in this desert climate. We don't want to be living among this evil people. We want to get back to our homeland where it's comfortable, where we like it. So let's get out of here as fast as possible. But what God says to them is he says, I want you to establish yourself. So in verse 5, this is the very first sentence. It says, this is a message from God. Build houses and settle down. That was the opposite of what they wanted to do. They didn't want to build houses. They didn't want to settle down. They wanted to get out of there. So it brings up the question, why does God want them to establish themselves? 
Well, the reason God wants them to establish themselves is the people who make the biggest impact are people who are established. If you want to make a big impact on your campus, you have to establish yourself. And in college, I mean, I realize that for some of you, some of you, any seniors that graduated in May, maybe, some of you are like, I don't know, you know, like some people raise their hand and I said graduate in May and they went like that, you know. So, um, so I mean, you might, what, eight months left? You know, some of you have years, some of you have more years than you think you have, than your parents want you to have, than you can afford, but you know, you've got years. But college is really unique. It, it's a short season of life, it's a short chapter, but you can establish yourself in a college setting faster than in any other setting in life. You can get established on your college campus so quickly, I mean in a matter of weeks and months, you can be fully established on a college campus. This is a picture of our neighborhood where we live. And um, right there, the red um, dot, the pin. And um, we've lived here for two years now. And we've been really intentional in our neighborhood. When we moved in, we, bought, we went to Trader Joe's, and we bought a lot, lot of succulents in those little pots that they have outside of Trader Joe's. And we put um, ribbon, ribbon around it and a little card, and it had... Um, my number and my wife's number and had a little bit of information about our family. We walked around to all of our neighbors, all the kind of the immediate neighbors. I think it was like 12 or 15 maybe. We, you know, we knocked on the doors. The whole family's in tow. Like the kids are in the wagon. They're running around being crazy. And we just went up to the door, knocked on the doors, gave them a succulent, introduced ourselves, exchanged numbers, got to know their story, shared our story. And we just spent a whole afternoon doing that, getting to know the people when we first moved into the neighborhood. And then we've done other things in the neighborhood. We... Um, my neighborhood is known as the Halloween neighborhood. So, like, there's a haunted house around the corner. Um, there's a jazz. The, there's a guy whose son is the um, music producer for Dancing with the Stars. And um, he and his wife were both professional jazz musicians who toured the country. And so he lives across the street. You'd never know that. I mean, it's like you get to know him and you're like, it's, his story's crazy. But on Halloween, they have this massive band that comes and plays in his front yard. And it's right across the street. So we just have a massive party in our front yard because we're like, this is great. Like, he's doing the, the show. We'll, we'll provide everything else. It's been awesome to get to know neighbors. We, um, at Christmas time, we did a movie night. We went around to all the families who have little kids um, our kids' age. And we said, hey, we're going to do this movie night. We gave them flyers in advance. We set up a screen in the front yard, had a fire pit, um, had food. We invited, there are some other families in our neighborhood from our church. We invited them to come so they could get to know the family. So we've been very strategic in our neighborhood. We've been there for two years. The neighbors immediately kind of to our south have been there for 60 years. They're original owners. There are multiple original owners in this neighborhood. So just two weeks ago, I was coming home from something. I got out of my car. And a guy was walking down the street who I haven't met yet. And he walks up to me and he goes, hey, you guys are the new family. Two years. And we're still introduced and recognized as the new family in this neighborhood. So in order for me and my family to establish ourselves, we're playing the long game. Like it's going to take a long time to get established in this neighborhood. We're still the new family. It's not like that on a college campus. I mean, a college campus, weeks, a matter of months, you can be established. For me, I lived in the dorms all four years, and something that I noticed in the dorms was you can get established really, really quickly. So a trend that I saw was, okay, 
I would, these freshmen would come in, and you know they've got their they've got they've still got their high school girlfriend, you know, and she's at another school, or maybe she's still in high school. And I lived in an all male dorm, so that's you know there was no girls in the dorm; it was just guys. So these guys would come in, they'd move in, and they've you know still got somebody that they're dating, and they still go home every weekend, and mom does the laundry, and you know they do the drive and that whole thing. And they come in. Some of you I know. Some of you are like, "Well, he's talking about me." You know, so. <laughs> But usually, what I notice, this trend, is by Halloween, so October, or Thanksgiving break, they would kind of realize, I can't do this anymore. That high school flame would have burned out by then. The breakup would happen. You know, they would realize, you know, I can't afford to be driving home this often and paying this gas, you know. I've got to come back to campus. So what I, what I realized, and some other guys on my floor realized too, is... If we would be intentional those first few months, those first few weeks, just go around, tell people our name, like, hey, I'm Elliot, I live at the end of the hall, blah, blah, blah. If I would invite them to events, you know, I was a part of a group just like Challenge. If I would invite them to events, if I'd say, hey, you know, going down to eat lunch in the cafeteria, why don't you come? Even if they said no. If I would just do basic things like that, just to let them know I was there, Usually by Halloween or Thanksgiving, I could start to get a ton of traction with the guys on my floor because I was established, because I put in the work. I let them know I was there, let them know who I was, and usually, I mean, the semester wasn't even over. And suddenly, you know, they're kind of detaching from the life they had in the past and realizing, okay, I really have to be on this campus. I've got to get the grades. I've got to do what I'm supposed to do. I can't keep living in the past. But because I had established myself, I was ready to make an impact. You can make an impact so fast on a college campus if you're intentional. What God tells the exiles, he says, hey, build houses. Establish yourself. Same thing he wants you guys to do on a college campus. Now, one of the challenges to doing this is last night we talked about kind of the three kind of challenges to committing. And one of the challenges is putting Jesus off. And so a lot of times in college, we realize it's a short chapter of your life. It's, in a lot of ways, it's one of the shortest chapters of your life. I mean, once, once you get out of school, like, school happens so fast. Stuff happens in such a short amount of time when you're in a university setting. When you get out of college, life just kind of slows down. And it takes a long time for stuff to happen. So it's a short, just fast, intense chapter. But a lot of times, as people go through that season, what they're focused on is what's next. They're just in the moment living for the career or in the moment living for getting the, the job or the degree that'll set them up for the life that they want. And they miss the opportunity right in front of them to make an impact for God. So God wants you to establish yourself. So if you, if you make the commitment, I'm not going to put Jesus off, now you've set yourself up where you can start to do some strategic things to establish yourself. Second thing God wants you to do from verse 5 is God wants you to fit in. He wants you to fit in. Now fitting in can get a bad rap, I recognize that. And when we think fitting in, sometimes we think that that means that it's like you do everything possible to make people like you, and you even kind of violate your own sense of right and wrong, and you kind of have no real moral standing because you just really want to be accepted. And that's not what what I'm talking about when I say fit in. When I talk about the kind of fitting in that God wants you to do, what God wants you to do is he wants you to engage in the things that the people around you are doing so that you can connect with them. So this is really interesting in Jeremiah 29. He says this in verse 5. Right after he says to build houses, settle down, he says, plant gardens and eat what you grow in them. 
Now, this is one of those interesting things in the Bible that as you think about it, it's just like, wow, like, that's amazing. Because they, they've been in this, so imagine with me, they've been in this Mediterranean climate. The Mediterranean climate is ideal for growing food. I mean, it's rich soil, it's fertile, there's plenty of rain, it's good weather, it's not harsh, you know, it's kind of, you have a constant season. I mean, that's one of the reasons that California is known for producing so much food, because the weather out here is just ideal for growing food. So they move from this ideal environment where they can really grow and eat whatever they want to eat to this harsh desert climate. It's dry, it's rocky, the soil is different. They can't grow the same food that they could grow in the Mediterranean climate. So he says, hey, I want you to plant gardens and eat what they produce. It's going to be different food than what they ate in the, in the past. They can't just take their diet from Israel and impose it on Babylon. Their diet, their eating habits are going to have to change. One of the things that I've done several times is go overseas. So one link is back there. And I, I do think it would be great if you guys um, connect with them and learn more about the opportunities. But when you go overseas and you connect in a different culture, one of the ways you connect with people is through food. You know, if you go to another culture, they'll tell you. When you go to another culture, eat what's put in front of you. I mean, I remember going to India, and we're sitting there in India, and they serve us this chicken meal. And I'm pretty sure we were at, it was, we were at, a, we were at a village. There was a tribe. It was like mud huts set up. And I'm pretty sure they cooked the whole chicken, like, like they, they, they defeathered it and then just cooked the whole thing. And then I think they just took like this like large knife and just like hacked it up. Because I was like pulling stuff out and I'm like, like it really, it looked like a human ear. And I was like, what part of the chicken is this? And I'm trying to think like, is this like an organ or is this like cartilage from a joint? Like, what is this? But I wanted to connect with the people. So do you think I was like, oh, no, 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 I don't eat that. No, because that would, that would, I would immediately eliminate myself from them. But if you're going to connect, what do you do? You eat the food. So what's God saying? Plant gardens and what? Eat what they produce. Fit in. When I was done with school, some of my first roommates in California, they were two guys from out of state, um, and they had a distinct identity from the states that they were from. They, they, were just, they were super proud of their heritage and the states that they were from. And they moved to California, and I'm still kind of confused why they chose to move to Cal Southern California specifically, because they really despised the things that people do in Southern California. I mean, the states they came from, you know, they had like, they had big trucks, you know, manly trucks. And, you know, there's all these Tacomas driving around and a Chevy, I don't know, I don't even know what they are, like a Chevy Colorado or whatever. And they would see these trucks and be like, I don't know why guys drive like mid-sized trucks, you know, and they would just like criticize this. <laughs> And then um, the surfers, they were convinced that surfers were like the, the dumbest people on the face of the earth. They were just like, dude, these surfers, we live in Surf City, USA. Like, you can't, you can't criticize the surfers in Huntington Beach. We're famous for that, you know? So they come in, and they were Christians. They were involved in their church. I think they really wanted to make an impact. The thing is, they didn't do the work of fitting in. They would see these things that the locals did, and they would just judge and criticize and critique, and, man, that's stupid, and we don't do it that way where I come from, and fish tacos? Why would you put fish on a taco? That's so stupid, you know? And it's just like, bro, just eat the fish tacos and shut up, you know? It's like, so, you know, they moved away, and they, you know, honestly, they, they really did try to make an impact, and they did make an impact in some small ways. But as I watched them, I realized the amount of impact that they could make, 
it was greatly limited because they were just constantly separating themselves from people instead of doing the work of fitting in. Growing up, I was never a big um, video game guy. I just, I just, you know, it was like, hey, you know, we could go outside and do something active or we could play video games. And I was like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go outside. Never really played video games. I get to college and the floor that I'm on, again, it's all male dorm, there was one room on the floor that was vacant and we realized that our um, school ID key cards could be used to pop the lock on any door in the uh, dorm, which was amazing for pranks. I mean, it was like, we did the best pranks. But, um, so we, we popped the, door, the lock on this door and we put a TV in there and we put an Xbox in there. And regularly, there would be four guys, eight guys, sometimes 12 guys in there, and they would just be waiting to take their turn, and Halo was the game. That was like, that was the absolute, that was the pinnacle of video games. And we would sit in there on the weekend for hours. Now, I'm not a video gamer, but you know what? I wanted to make an impact. I wanted to fit in. So instead of just being like, no, I'm not going to play video games. I'm going to go shoot baskets by myself. Play video games. So I played a ton of Halo in college. You know how much Halo I've played since college? Yeah, exactly. Zero. Just because the people around me don't play it. So it was like, hey, everybody around me is playing it. It's a way to connect. It's a way to fit in. Great. I'm going to play Halo. I played a ton of Halo. It was actually, yeah, by, uh, you, you could name your characters. So like, because I was like the religious guy that was like telling them about Jesus, they were like, you're like the priest of the hall. So they named me like the priest or whatever on the thing. It's like, <laughs> it was funny. But I did it. And when I moved to Huntington. So I moved to Huntington. I come from, um, I grew up in Oklahoma. That's where I went to school. I come from a landlocked state. There are no waves in Oklahoma. So I moved from Oklahoma to Surf City, USA. I've never worn a wetsuit in my life. I don't know how to surf. But it's like, okay, it's Surf City, USA. Like, I have to at least give this a try. So my first day there, like, I, I got there on a Saturday. Sunday, I got a board. I got a wetsuit. I still remember being in the garage Thankfully, I was alone in the garage, and I've got this wetsuit, and it's got this zipper, and I'm like, does it go on the front or the back? <laughs> so I'm just like, I had no idea. So I remember putting it on, and I'm like, starting to zip it, and I'm looking at the zipper in the front, and I'm just like, there's no way this is right, you know, like, this isn't right. And so I realized that I you know, put it on the right way, but I mean, I'll admit, I was a total kook. Like, if, if kook of the day, if you've ever seen their Instagram like, I would have been on Kook of the Day Instagram regularly when I first moved to California, if that was a thing. But what did I want to do? I wanted to fit in. Surfing was one of the ways to fit in. Now that I've been there for 16 years, surfing, well, one, it got me a job. I started surfing, then I got into the surf industry. Tons of opportunities to share my faith. Saw a lot of impact take place when I was working in that industry. Since then, just being able to relate to people. I mean, I'll be talking to a guy at one of my kids' sporting things or in the neighborhood, and we'll just start talking about surfing. I, I get so much credibility by, oh, whose boards do you ride? Oh, where do you usually surf? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Just suddenly, like, instead of me being this weird guy down the street, now we've got all this stuff in common that we can talk about. And it speeds the opportunity for me to share my life and start to talk about issues of faith. So when it comes to fitting in, as long as it's not sin... I mean, he's, he's very clear. He doesn't want the Israelites to get into sin. As long as it's not sin, if it's an opportunity for you to connect with people and fit in, then do it. Just do it. Just, you know, if it's like, hey, I don't, I don't really eat Thai food, just eat it, you know? <laughs> just eat it. It's okay. Like, is, you know, if, if there's an allergy, I get it, but just do it, you know? 
Do it. Verse on this, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. It says, be very careful. This is really fascinating. It's written to Christians. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Just think about that. So if this is written to Christians, and it starts by saying, be very careful, what does that mean? That means that Christians cannot be careful. It says that be very wise, not unwise. That means that Christians can be very unwise. So Christians can live very thoughtless, unwise lives. There's no automatic thing that says, okay, just because you're saved by Christ, you're suddenly going to be a wise person. That's why it says be very careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise. What does a wise person do? A wise person makes the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So if you want to live God's will and you want to be wise, then you're going to be the kind of person that takes advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. And one of the things God wants you to do is you commit and get off of the stands and onto the field of play. He wants you to establish yourself, and he wants you to fit in. So I want to get really practical right now and talk about what this looks like for our family. And there's kind of three um, categories that my wife and I think in terms of. And I'm going to use the, um, the headings of the categories that we use in our lives. But I would encourage you to, and, and I'll explain this as we go, I would encourage you to think about, okay, well, what would this be for you? So I'm going to paint a picture um, using our life, but I realize that you know, we're in a little bit of a different setting than you guys are in. So your terms might be slightly different, but the goal is still going to be a, the same. So this is a strategy that my wife and I use to establish ourselves in our city and to fit in. We live. The first one is, is we identify what the playground is. What's the playground? So for me, right now, the playground would be um, kids' sports. So I, actually, my son's soccer game is going on um, right now, and my daughter played earlier. So we've got two kids that are in um, soccer this fall. So the playground is their sports. And the reason that this is important is what my wife and I have found is that the soccer field is one of the best ways for us to get to know people in our city. So this last Wednesday... Um, I made sure I got off work a little bit early so that I could go to my um, daughter's soccer practice because I'm not, I'm not there to watch her play. I mean, I do, I do want to see her play, and I want to encourage her. But actually, what's happening around the field is there's just a ton of parents standing there. And so what soccer practice is for me and my wife is it's an opportunity for us to go and start talking to all those parents that are just standing there. So this last Wednesday, I went to soccer practice, and there was a dad standing there, and he had his dog with him, and his daughter was playing on the same team my daughter was playing on. And so I just started a conversation by talking about his dog. I was like, hey, what kind of dog is it? And how long have you had the dog? And blah, 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 blah. We spent a whole hour, the entire hour-long practice, just standing there talking. It was a great conversation. We talked about what he does for work. We talked about hobbies. We talked about parenting. I mean, he, he shared some parenting challenges they're having in their family. I talked about how we handle those things in our family and how we've experienced similar things. Um, we talked about work. We talked about church. We talked about all kinds of stuff. I didn't, I didn't explicitly share with him the message of who Jesus is and how he can save a life. But what I did is I started to build credibility with this guy and get to know him and relate to him and connect with him. And then over time, if there's opportunities, then I'm going to continue to do that in the hopes that we can invite him to church, share faith with him. Another thing that we do when it comes to the playground and in soccer is we've gone to other families in our church and said, hey, you've got a kid our same kid's age, why don't we get on the same soccer team? And then we can partner together. So it's not just me and my wife doing this. So on that team with that dad, 
there's another family from our church that their daughter's also on the team. So then after I have that conversation, I hit up that other dad from the church, and I'm like, hey, I met this dad. Here's the conversation that we had. So now we can start to tag team. Now we can start to work together. We can use the playground where people are already gathering to hang out, and they're available. We can use the playground to build relationships and start to make an impact. A verse on this is Acts 17, 17. I was talking about Paul and Paul's practice. This is what it says in Acts 17, 17. It says, so he reasoned, Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happen to be there. So what Paul is doing is Paul's going from city to city, and he's just looking for, hey, who's here? Who's interested? Who might be open to a conversation that I could connect with? He's simply just saying, who's available? And he's, you know, adjusting. He's like, synagogue one day, you know, synagogue's not really, nothing's really happening. Let's go to the marketplace, see what's going on in the marketplace. So it's just figuring out where are people gathered, how can I connect with them? So when I was in college, and this is what it might look like for you, um, for me it was the lounge. So um, it could look, I think we got a picture of a lounge. Yeah, it could look like this. Maybe this in your dorm or your apartment or the place that you live. Maybe it looks something like this. Maybe there's, you just go there, people play video games, they play pool. Who knows? Maybe they just sit in there and study. Like, where's the place where you could go and you could connect with people? Another thing that it could look like, it could be the rec center. It could be intramural sports at your university. You know, again, it's just a place where people are gathered, people are there to engage in something, and people are, you know, available to enter into conversations for you to get to know them, to hang out with them. These are great opportunities for you to do that. Maybe, maybe it's not something athletic. You know, I use the term playground. We kind of use athletics. Maybe it's not something athletic. Maybe it's a study group. Maybe it's, there's something related to your major, which gives you an opportunity to connect with people. When I was in school, uh, the university I was at had a massive musical theater program. And they were constantly sending people from the musical theater program up to Broadway or Chicago or other um, big kind of like hubs for that industry. But that program was known as a program they just hung out all the time. They spent all their time together as part of that major. So maybe you're in a major like that where you're just, because you're in the major, you're just surrounded by people. That is an opportunity for you to establish yourself and fit in and use that to get to know people. So here's the question. I'm gonna t- we're going to take about 30 seconds. And on your paper, I want you to answer this question. What's your playground? So for you, on your campus, in your setting, what's your playground? Where's your opportunity to get to know people and have conversations? Let's take a minute and answer that question. All right, anybody want to share? What's your playground? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, which was part of the testimony. That's awesome. That's really good. It's really good. And that's another one. That's one of those things where that's a, I was a journalism major. That's an industry where people actually just hang out because of the nature of it. I mean, it's not, it's not just we just don't go there to work, but it's like there's actually a sense of community. Yeah, that's a great one. What else? Yeah, it's great. It's really good. Yeah, group projects are another great one. I mean, it's like, you know, and again, that's where you customize it. For my wife and I, we use the term playground. You know, you customize it to to your setting, but where are you going to connect with people? 
Uh, the next one, so after we identify what the playground is and we start to engage on that, another area that we focus on is the front porch. Front porch, this is where you build relationships with the people that live around you. So you're thinking about who are the people that live around you. So apartments and your apartments, who are the people that live around you in your apartments? Your dorms, who are the people that live around you? Who are the people on your hall? Maybe you're in a house. Maybe it's your roommates in the house. Maybe it's the other houses um, that are around you. So here's the question. How many of your neighbors can you name? So list them right now. How many of your neighbors can you name? So where you live, how many of the people around you can you name? Don't look at me. Look at your paper. Write it down. Put their names down. Right, who, who can name three neighbors? Let's see, just hands. Three neighbors. It's not even half the room. Okay, who can name five neighbors? Just five neighbors, guys. Five neighbors. Eight. Who can name eight neighbors? Eight neighbors. Ten? Anybody got ten? Ten neighbors? All right. That's great. Okay, here's a, uh, here's a verse on this. So this is, this is really important. Like, technology is great. Technology is great. I realize you guys are digital natives. You were born, you know, the iPhone was a thing. You know, you're born where you're already connected to this. Like, I, this came out when I was out of school. So I was already out of college by the time this came out. Not so for you guys. I mean, you guys are literally born with this. It's like... It's part of you. It's pretty much like fused into your body, okay? I realize that. Technology is great. Technology is a great tool to be used to connect with people. One of the things technology does, though, is technology brings the world in close, but it pushes those who are close far away. And so you can connect and you can have an impact digitally. That is a thing, and I'm not, I'm not undermining that. But at the same time, there are still real human beings that live around us that God wants us to connect with. So Acts 17, another verse, verse 26 and 27. So Paul is giving a message at this point. He says, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. So God determined where and when people were going to live. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. So what he's done is God has a plan for everyone to come to know him. And he strategically placed people so that they can seek him and find him. And then those of us who have said, okay, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to commit to him. I'm going to get out of the stands and onto the field of play. I'm going to establish myself and fit in. He uses us to make an impact on the people that live around us. So this is really, really important to get to know the people that live around you, to identify the front porch and think about the people that live around you. In our neighborhood, um, the houses in our neighborhood are built so that the kitchen and the living room are kind of on the back part of the house. And because of that, what that means is kind of everybody comes home, they drive, they go in the driveway, into the garage, they shut the garage door, they park, they get out, they go in the back of the house, they cook dinner, you know, they turn on Netflix or Hulu or Disney Plus, whatever streaming subscription they have, 
and they watch TV. So it's really, you know, if you're kind of living in the back of the house, it's hard to get to know people. Like I've said, I mean, we've been there two years. It's been hard to get established in our neighborhood. So what my wife and I decided to do is, okay, we're here. We don't know who the people are that God wants us to impact. We don't know the ways he wants us to do it exactly, but we know he wants us to have an impact on this neighborhood. So we put lawn furniture in our front yard. We bought toys for our kids to incentivize our kids to play in the front yard so that when we go out there, they're not like, can we go inside and watch TV? Like, we try to make it fun so it's easier to go out there. And we'll just go out there and we'll hang out. Sometimes I'll just go out there and I've got a book I need to read. And I'll just sit there in the chair, read the book. My son's on his bike, riding his bike. Or somebody's on a skateboard doing something in the front yard. It's amazing how many neighbors we've gotten to meet simply by sitting in the front yard. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like walking up and down the street and everybody I see, I'm like, hi, my name's Elliot. I'm new in the neighborhood. I've got four kids. You've probably heard us screaming. You know, I'm not going up and down the street doing that. I'm literally just sitting there in a chair and they're walking by with their dogs because most of the neighborhood has dogs. So they're walking by with their dog and how's it going? And then all of a sudden we have a conversation and I get to know them. And I'm not really not doing anything special. I'm just sitting in my front yard. But it's been key to getting to know the people in my neighborhood. When I was in the dorms, so again, it was a, it's an all-male dorm. We had um, community showers in a bathroom. And then we had, um, down the hall, everybody had their own room. And one of the things I decided to do when I was in the dorms was, if I'm in my room and I'm not sleeping, I'm just going to have the door open. And just simply by having the door open. Then if somebody's walking down the hall and they see me, they could just say, like, oh, hey, what's up, Elliot? Or I could see them and be like, you know, what's up, Josh? You know, good to see you. Or a lot of times people would just stop in my room and just, like, sit down and, and hang out and have a conversation. Just, it was n- nothing crazy. Literally, it was just I opened my door. That's all I did. I just opened my door and got to know the people that were living around me. So for you, it's the same thing, whether it's a dorm or apartment, a house, whatever it might be, one of the things God has for you is he's placed you there because he wants you to make an impact. So you've got to figure out, okay, how do I just make myself available to get to know the people that are living around me? It's the front porch. How do I use the front porch to connect with the people that are living around me? So another question. What's an opportunity for you to get to know the people who live around you? So just think about that for a second. What's an opportunity for you to do that? What would that be? I don't know your setting. I don't know where you live. I don't know the arrangements. But what would it look like for you to get to know the people that live around you? Actually know who they are. You know, earlier I asked the question, how many of your neighbors can you name? And half the room couldn't name three. And my guess is, if you were just slightly intentional, probably in the next week, you could double that number. It's really not hard. It's really not hard. I mean, most of the time when it comes to our neighbors, we view the place that we live as like, it's where we rest and it's where we sleep it's where we like kind of rejuvenate our time. So we're like very private and closed off in the place that we live. So when it comes to our neighbors, we're just kind of like ships in the night. You know, just silently passing without acknowledgement. But again, like God has placed us there for a reason. He wants us to get out of the stands onto the field of play to make an impact. He wants us to establish ourselves and fit in. One of the places you can do that is the place where you live. 
third one, third category we think of. So we think of the playground, front porch, final one is the dining table. So for us, this is literally the dining table in our house. But this can look a lot of different ways. The importance is not just sharing a meal, but it's sharing a meal in the context of inviting somebody into your life. And again, this is something that you see done in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says this. He says, because we loved you, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel. So it wasn't that they were just going around telling people about Jesus. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. They were delighted to share their life with other people. You know, for us, the playground, the playground is only a few hours a week. And it's really like, it's really limited how much we can get to know people in the playground setting. It's a few hours a week. The front porch, you know, it's similar. It's, it's less frequent. I mean, it's kind of coming and going. People might get to know us better. They get to know our habits. You know, they might get to see the things about our lives that they don't, we don't really want them to see. They see us when we're frustrated. They see us when we're angry. You know, but they get to see us a little more. But when you share a meal with somebody, what you're doing is you're actually inviting somebody into your life. And so for some of you, you live in a setting where you actually have a kitchen and you can cook a meal and you can invite people over and say, hey, we're doing this food thing. Like, you should come hang out at our apartment or our house or our dorm room, whatever it might be. For others of you, you don't have that. So use your meal plan. Or I don't even know what you guys call it these days. But it's like, you know, wherever you go eat, the cafeteria, like be in a class with somebody and class is done and you're going to go eat in the cafeteria. So why not just turn to somebody and say, hey, you want to go eat in the cafeteria? Like, just go share a meal with them. And in the process of sharing the meal, the dining table, they get to know you, you get to know them. And one of the things they get to see about you is everybody's kind of asking the question, is your faith real? Like, if you've identified as a Christian, you've said that you're a part of challenge, maybe you have, like, a cool Christian T-shirt, you know, like, that you got at an event, you know, it's like, oh, they should know, you know, I'm wearing this thing that says salt and light, and they should just know what that means, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you know, you think this, but really what they're, you know what they're asking? They're asking, they're not going to tell you this, they're asking, is it real? They're asking that question. And they're, 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 they're going to get the answer to the question not from what you say. They're going to get the answer to the question from how you live your life. That means they have to be close enough to you to see you live your faith out, to see you struggle, to see you make decisions where you value the things of God and not the things of the world, to see you wrestle with, am I willing to pay the price to do what Jesus wants me to do? Am I willing to love this person? Am I willing to talk about my teacher the way that God wants me to instead of just complaining and moaning about them because I don't like them? They're watching these things, and they're answering the question, is it real? Is this faith real that you claim that you have? They're, they're getting the answer not from what you say, but from how you live. And that means you have to get close enough to them for them to see the answer to the question. So these three for my wife and I have been super helpful. What's our playground? We identify that. We try to always have a playground. What's our front porch? How are we using the front porch to connect with the people around us? And then what's the dining table? using meals to invite people into our lives so that they can see who we really are. So God wants you to establish yourself. He wants you to fit in. Those are involved in getting off the stands and into the field of play. And as you do that, be very strategic on the opportunities to connect with people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again. I just thank you for um, the clarity of Scripture. And I thank you for the practical principles that we can draw to apply to our own lives. I pray... um, We can't do it now, but when we get back to our campuses, I pray that we would be intentional in these areas. We wouldn't just live for the next chapter. We wouldn't put off obedience, but we would 
we would take you seriously, we would establish ourselves, and we would fit in in the places where you have us. In Jesus' name, amen.